Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Thank you for joining us for Everything Under the Sun, the AccuWeather podcast. I'm your host, meteorologist Regina Miller, and I'm joined in the studio by my producer, Andy Robb. Hi, Andy. Hi, Regina. How are you? Good, good. I'm excited about our interview today because we have two celebrations going on uh, the month of February, but also last week, earlier this week. It was the International Day of Women and Girls in Science, and it's Black History Month as well. So we are celebrating that here at the AccuWeather podcast by interviewing a pioneer in the industry. That's right. Really excited about this interview today. We're going to be speaking with retired Rear Admiral Evelyn Fields, who was the first African-American to be named director of NOAA's Office of Marine and Aviation Operations. Right. And not only that, she was the first woman and African-American to command a ship in the U.S. Uniformed Services for an extended assignment, taking charge of the research vessel MacArthur back in 1989. Yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting. So you're going to find out all about it coming up. So Andy and I are joined on the phone now by retired Rear Admiral Evelyn Fields. So honored to have you joining us, Evelyn. Thank you for calling. Well, we've been so anxious to talk to you and hear a little more about your story. It's so interesting. Can you tell me uh, a little bit about your personal background. What was it that inspired you as a young person to enter this line of work? I actually kind of got into it as a result of getting out of school and looking for a job like most college graduates are. And this came my way, and I um, started to work for NOAA as a civilian and worked for them for a couple of, almost a couple of years before um, they started taking women. So I applied, and here I am. So you were one of the early women in the business? Uh, yes, I was. I, I started to work for NOAA in uh, 73. Well, actually, I started to work for NOAA in 72. And when I went to work for NOAA, they were not accepting women as commission officers. And I decided to apply at the uh, instigation of some of the uh, male officers that I was working with. I applied and was accepted. And I came in a year after the first woman did. Wow, that's amazing. You know, because I think as time has gone on, we have forgotten what it's like to just not even have that job opportunity open to us. That's correct. And, it's, and it really has not been that long because, I, like I said, it was, you know, I was 23, 24 when I first started working as a commission officer. And at the time, um, the Navy and some of the other seagoing services were still not taking women in and had them going to sea doing the same jobs that the men were doing. Wow. So, so had you quite a trip. If you had graduated like three years earlier, you may have never gone this career path at all. Actually, a year earlier, probably would not have. A lot of the services were talking about it, but that's what they were doing was talking. And they hadn't really done anything about it because I think it was during the time too. you know, it was just before they passed uh, the legislation that gave young ladies the opportunity 
to do uh, like equal sports and a whole equal rights business. You know, it's a matter of timing, I guess. You know, you mentioned that it was kind of one of those things. You came out of school, you're looking for some work. So that's what I was going to ask you as far as the sciences were concerned. So was it was it kind of a situation? Did, did the military come first for you and then through that, the introduction to some of the work you were doing in atmospheric science kind of came second, or was it vice versa? I graduated with a mathematics degree, and I thought that I was going to be involved with uh, computing because uh, computers, because that was the coming thing at the time when I graduated. Computers were not like they are today, and, you know, it was the whole business of the stack of uh, punch cards and the, the, the whole bit of the new the new thing, and that was the computer. And I decided after taking a couple of computer classes that that wasn't really what I wanted to do. And when uh, one of uh, the guys that I used to work with said uh, Noah was looking for cartographers is what I started out doing in the nautical charting area. And it was interesting, but I didn't like sitting in the office the whole time, right. which is uh, what precipitated my applying to the Corps when they started taking women. In the early 70s, you became the first African-American woman to join NOAA, but then also the first to reach the rank of rear admiral. So we weren't all that far from the civil rights era either. So it was such a different time. Did you face career challenges related to that? Actually, I didn't. I think the biggest challenge for me it was just being female in an all-male world. And it, I don't know that it really mattered what color your skin was. When you think about the science side of things, most of the, the scientists were all-male, especially in the government. And so it was uh, one of those, those things when you started going to meetings or started to job you were assigned. Most of the time I went to meetings, I wouldn't say most of the time, I would say about 98% of the time, that I was going to meetings. I was going to meetings with all guys, and right. their brains don't necessarily wrap around an issue quite the same way a female brain does. Right. It's always um, really interesting when we came to conclusions or as we uh, hammered out a particular issue. Give me an example of that. Like, is it kind of a different approach in how to wield control over a group? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, most definitely. And I think that at the time, I thought that going in as a female and trying to wield the same authority in the same way that my male counterparts were doing wasn't going to work. I could see again, that. <laughs> this whole new idea to have women on a ship and a woman telling you what to do and so forth and so on. And I mean, you're dealing with guys who were ready to retire, and their whole mindset was just totally different because of the time frame in which they had worked and in which they were used to dealing with. So the era of men that you might have been supervising was that kind of greatest generation era of guys, it, and it, you were younger, it, right? Exactly. It was that greatest generation. You know, and those guys were kind of on the tail end of their careers. You know, you don't just change how they do business and how they react to people and how they react to you overnight. It just doesn't happen. It's interesting to me because you really had to, there wasn't anyone ahead of you that could have told you, here's the approach that works. No, and you had to, um, we, all, we being all of the women 
in the Commission Corps and who came in after I did, you all are different. You know, you got different personalities, you got different backgrounds, you came from different cultures or whatever. And so we all approach things. I think humans in general all approach things differently. And it was a matter of finding what was comfortable for me and that worked for me. And I, I can tell you that I actually had one of my COs on my first assignment tell me I probably wasn't going to make it because, you know, I, I was just too easygoing. Oh, wow. <laughs> How did you and respond? I said, okay. And that, I, I found that quite interesting. And, you know, well, 30 years later, it was not quite true. <laughs> right. <laughs> Clearly. Was there any part of that with you being a female in charge? Or do you think that was just, you know, comment, like kind of Well, offhand? probably it's a little bit of both because mm-hmm. I'm just not one of those kind of people that uh, that comes across as an authoritative authoritarian kind of individual that's that's just not me however if I'm in charge of something I don't think I have to rub your nose in it and in order to make you do what I want you to do there are other ways to get your point across and move forward that was the way I did business well I always like the expression that you should command respect with who you are rather than demand respect? Yes, and I think that that's part of leadership, too. Everybody tries to define leadership versus management or management versus leadership. And, um, you know, leadership is not something that um, you can necessarily teach. I, I think some of it has to be kind of in the value of the person and how, again, how they they deal with people and how they come across to people. I'd like to talk a little bit about your work and, you know, what you did, what it entailed, and maybe what you took the most pride in in atmospheric sciences. I spent two C assignments, three C assignments, and a couple of sure assignments doing uh, the data collection and then turning that data into uh, the kind of information that could be presented on a chart so that you could understand and, and do the navigation. Um, that was my biggest role. Uh, later, when I took command of the ship, the ship that I had more oceanographic and biological kind of work. We did sampling up and down the West Coast, and we also did what we call marine mammal survey, where we were looking at the tuna population and dolphin population. So my, my biggest thing with the atmospheric part of it was how a number of those kinds of things interact and cause the changes like uh, El Niños and La La Niños affected the movement and population of the dolphins that we were trying to um, find, so to speak. Okay, so you're kind of watching what all these changes, what the impact was going to be on sea life. Right, and the same thing with the hydrographic surveying. When you're surveying up in Alaska and we were looking at where the shoreline was versus where it is, you know, some of the glaciers were melting. So those are the kinds of things that um, you start seeing and you think, well, maybe there's something to what's going on and what the scientists are saying who are actually studying studying those phenomena. Right, because you were commanding that vessel, so you were always interacting with them and what they were discovering about that. So Exactly, because, um, you know, they were there to collect their data and... I was there to get them to the point or the place that they needed to collect that data. So we worked pretty much hand-in-hand to make the project a success. 
Well, Evelyn, I got to tell you, Andy, my producer, he is like bouncing around his chair over here. He's so excited. He has a couple of questions for you regarding the ship. I'd like to know what it was like being in command of an entire research vessel. Actually, it was fun. It was um, a little bit nerve-wracking on occasion. You know, the endorphins sped up sometimes, and then there are other times it's like, oh, goodness gracious, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, <laughs> so you, you went through all of those emotions, and a, and a lot of that, too, is, you know, you think about um, the ship bouncing around, and so it's unpleasant because you have no control over the weather, and it, as the day gets seemingly longer because the uh, weather is not good and the ship's bouncing all over the place, your patience gets a little lighter. <laughs> <laughs> and and everybody is being a little bit more um, snappy with each other. And you let the weather clear up and everything's going well. It, means, it, it just means a really good day. And you kind of sit there on the fantail of the ship and look at the sunset or look at the sunrise and think, yeah, this is living, this is life, this is good. I would imagine that that view, seeing that and seeing just, you know, the horizons probably really never got old. It was probably just a lovely sight to see. It never does get old, and I can tell you that uh, anybody who goes to sea usually takes lots of sunrise pictures and lots of sunset pictures. Oh, this sunset is even prettier, so you get up your camera and you take a picture, and I dare one of them to say that they can tell you what day it was because they all start to look alike because they are beautiful. You don't have the, um, the background light of cities and so forth. You don't have anything but the ocean horizon that to look at. And it's just very pleasant and very peaceful and just beautiful. Do you ever miss uh, being out there? I do when, it's, um, when I, I look up at the sky at night and see all of the stars and, and all um, those quiet times are the times that I miss, but that's it. Not the hectic <laughs> times. <laughs> no, not the, not the hectic times, not the times when you got everything going awry at the same time and you've got to figure out, you know, what to do first and what to do second in order to get through whatever the crisis is. There, I don't miss that part. Of there's it. probably just a, a, a large order of operations that goes in to just, you know, you've got all these people on board and, and you're trying to, you know, come together and solve something. It, it's got to be just, you know, intense and just makes, you it know. It is intense, but, you know, the thing about it is, and, and I don't, I'm not making light of this, but it's something that you've kind of been groomed for because when you start out as an ensign, running your bridge watches and then the next go round you might be operations officer the next time you go to sea and then a time after that as for me i i made executive officer so i was the second in command so you kind of go through all of those hurdles so by the time you get the command itself you're prepared for all of the the issues but you just don't know when they're going to come and how they're going to come in terms of uh, in terms of weather, going back to that, was there ever like an instance that stood out to you the most where weather impacted one of your excursions where you thought, wow, this might be really bad, or, or you thought maybe the ship might not make it back? Were there anything, anything uh, instances like that? Uh, no, not really. I, I have to say that um, because I was not as familiar um, on my very first sea assignment, as I might have been on later ones. I know when you get really bad weather and you got 
really good-sized seas, 15, 20-foot seas or more. And you think about uh, <laughs> the ship going up one wave and coming down the other side of the other wave and waves crashing depending on the period of the wave. It, it's it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it gets really crazy. I mean, the best you can do is just hang on. And you do, I guess the thought does go through your mind is, how stable is this ship? Is it going to be able to... Um, make its way through, you know, this this weather. And a lot of that, too, has to do with good seamanship and knowing how to deal with the direction the ship is going, the direction the waves are coming from, and, and that sort of thing. But it does get, um, you know, it, puts, it can put your heart up in your mouth a couple of times. Sure. It also kind of makes you understand, makes you more passionate about the weather, but also makes you kind of almost respect it a bit more in a way. I tell you, it, it makes you respect the weather. I think anybody who has been to sea on a fairly regular basis will tell you that they have an absolute healthy respect for weather and what it can do, whether it's winds, whether it's water, whether it's whatever. It's the, the effect of weather on the environment is, is just something that you just have a healthy respect for. Do you still study the weather in your in your spare time? I don't study it, but I am. I guess I've become kind of a weather junkie. I live in Florida, so during hurricane season, I, I am kind of a weather junkie. <laughs> I am constantly watching for uh, storms and watching the weather forecasts and so forth for for storms and following those storms and trying to figure out things. You know, it's. I, I think it's just in the blood now. I, can't get rid of it. <laughs> you can tune into the AccuWeather Network. <laughs> I mean, I, I tune into all of them. I do. I, I really do. Um, you know, kind of go from one one station to the other, trying to see what new piece of information the to figure out if to see if I can figure out what's what's going to happen without really getting into an absolute study of you know the process and what's going on. Just challenging but I, uh, yourself. Very very interested in in that sort of thing during hurricane season. Well, who who along your path, either, you know, career or personally, maybe inspired you and why? This is a question that I get a lot. And to be perfectly honest, the person that was the most inspirational to me was my mother. Mm -hmm. And I say that because she came up in the time when girls didn't go to school. They, they didn't go to college because what are they going to do? They're just going to get married and take care of a family. So why are we spending and wasting the money on putting you through school? And my mother, who was a very bright lady and um, really capable of a lot, well, she had my sister and I, <laughs> she was bound and determined that we were not going to be put in that situation. Right. That's great. Um, and I was pretty much raised with her saying, you can do anything you want to do. You can go make your way if you've got the education. So get the education. And I've told the story a couple of times that she talked about college like it was the end of high school. It never occurred to me, and, and people just laugh sometimes, but it never occurred to me as I was coming up through high school that I wasn't going to go to college. I, as far as I was concerned, that was just the next step. You went from junior high school to high school, and then you went from high school to college. That was just the way it was. And it just never occurred to me the option of saying, no, I don't want to go to college. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was like breathing in your house. <laughs> you it were, was. You were going to do it. It was <laughs> indeed. And so, and so we did. I mean, you know, all of us went 
my siblings and I went to college and finished school, finished college. But it was just, it was that kind of thought process on her part. And as a result of that, I think um, I fared a lot better than I, I might have if I had decided not to go to the college, you know? Right. So many of um, that part of my generation, I think, was it was before college became a thing that everybody had to do. And people who come out of school now, they just assume that they're going to go to college. Uh, and that wasn't the assumption back um, in the late 60s and early 70s when I was uh, going through school. Right. And I even remember, you know, being a kid in the 70s, I remember like when you were a kid and somebody asked you what you were going to do as a, as a girl, it was like, well, there's nurse, there's school teacher, there's secretary. Like, there, you know what I mean? Like, even when I was a kid, I remember that being the era of where you weren't always thinking outside the box with options. I'm, I'm fortunate because I had a mom kind of like yours who didn't go to school. No, but was and very uh, you smart. were going to be a secretary or you were going to be a receptionist or, or like you said, a nurse. I mean, that was, that was the professional job that most you would hear from most girls. You never heard them say, oh, I'm going to be an engineer or I think I'm going to be a marine biologist. You didn't hear that sort of stuff. Right, right. Nobody was even thinking about that, you know, so it really took some, um, you know, forward thinking parents to encourage that that's what their kids would would seek to do. And I, I think it's interesting as well, because, you know, part of we're doing this podcast, we're doing some uh, profiles on, you know, Black History Month, because, you know, you had being a female at that time, in the early 70s, there was kind of like, you know, certain paths they expected you to go on. But then, like I had said, coming coming off of really the civil rights era, you know, I was wondering, you know, in some ways it seems like we've come a long way. In other ways, it seems like, you know, the racial discourse has become more heated recently. And I just wondered, do you have any thoughts on that? Do you think we're still moving forward? And this is part of like an open discussion. Do you have concerns ever that we're moving backward? Well, I, I would like to say that we're moving forward, and I, I think that there is some forward motion overall, because when I grew up in the 50s and 60s, I mean, things were, in my opinion, um, a lot worse than they are now. People said things to you, and you didn't dare say anything back if they called you something. And now, it, it, at least, I think there is a little bit more discussion. There is at least an openness of recognizing that there are issues. Right. Before, um, I would say, in, when I was going to school, the issues were not, they were there, but they were not discussed. Nobody talked about them. Nobody even acknowledged that they, they were there. And right. It was, quote, just the way it was. And now people of color, people of different ethnic backgrounds, they don't accept that sort of thing lying down anymore which is basically kind of how I was taught. You know, I look at it at that point in time and think, you know, so often different groups were just not even afforded the opportunity to say how they felt about it. You you wouldn't have had the opportunity to do that. So at least the fact that there's more discourse now, it seems like you can talk. Yes. Yeah, if there there's more, um, more discussion and, and things are kind of uh, at the forefront. But... You know, I I think that there is still a lot to be learned as far as uh, dealing with people in a humanitarian way and uh, treating people as people, as opposed to thinking in terms of 
what you can and can't say or what you can and can't do. You have to be respectful of people. You have to be respectful of their their thought process of of them as, as individuals. I mean, we teach our kids not to be bullies. And to me, some of um, the discourse that you that that you hear these days is nothing but big bullies. Mm-hmm. And that they they figure that, that they have the upper hand, so I can do this. It's just annoying to me. I guess <laughs> right. more than annoying, it's very frustrating, also. Right. Well, I think it's interesting when you talk about uh, it. Kind of all comes back around because when you talk about the civility or the method with which you led the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to me because that's kind of the way you're saying we need to continue discourse, is is that ability to recognize that we're all coming at this from different angles. And so the civility of it and some empathy or understanding of one another, you know, it's interesting to me that's the way you led the ship, and it sounds to me like that's the way you lead your life. <laughs> it is the way I lead my life, and, I, you know, I try to to approach any person that I meet or any new idea or whatever, I try to think of it in terms of, okay, is this something that I really want to know about or uh, is this some some person that can really bring something new to the table for me? Um, and I, I'm, I, I'm interested. I'm probably more um, interested now than I might have been in my early years just because, you know, we were all racing around trying to... Uh, get that promotion and you only do you did what you needed to do to get the promotion and so forth but but now it's is um more learning more about people where they're coming from and their thought process and just having a civil discussion with them to learn and we can't do that with everybody always kind of going off the deep end if you say something that's um a little bit inappropriate and and don't get me wrong uh, some of the things that people say are totally and completely inappropriate. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes I just wonder if they even know that they're being inappropriate. Right. It's something that I think about often, but I don't have good answers for. Right, right. It. It. I think it sets up a lot of anxiety and, and um, frustration for a lot of people. Right. And I'm one of them. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think, you know, what little golden nugget could I do or say that would make this all go away? (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you. I'm with you on that. If you come up with one, you let me know. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm I'm trying, but I don't think that's going to (laughs) work. But I I do think that that's that's part of the problem, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, I, I wondered what kind of advice do you have to your younger self Um, If you had the chance going into your career all over again, or maybe to someone else coming down the same career path. If it's something that you really are strong and passionate about, to go for it. You you really need to to think about what you like. And we don't always, I know, have that luxury. But if you're passionate about it, then, then go for it. Give it your best shot. If it doesn't work, then you're not out of anything, but you know that you've given it your best shot. And that's all anybody can ask. Right. Well, thanks so much. We really appreciate you talking to us. It's been a great conversation. Uh, Well, thank you very much. And our thanks once again to Evelyn Fields for talking to us today. And, you know, Andy, she said she's a weather buff, so I think we should suggest to her to download the AccuWeather app. That's right, and you can as well. Just head on over to the App Store or Google Play, look for the orange sun, and get the most 
up-to-date, accurate weather information at your fingertips with the AccuWeather app. Right. And, you know, speaking of pioneers, we have a pioneer for next week's podcast. Yeah, one of our very own. We're going to be speaking with AccuWeather's chief meteorologist, a legend in his field, broadcast pioneer, Elliot Abrams, who will be approaching his retirement here from AccuWeather. So he'll take a look back at his career. You won't want to miss that. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to AccuWeather's Everything Under the Sun, giving you the stories behind the weather and so much more. New episodes every Thursday. Just search for AccuWeather on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or visit AccuWeather.com slash podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.